This is Speaking Out. I'm Larissa Berendt. Over the years, a growing number of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students have been lucky enough to study at Harvard University, one of the most prestigious universities in the United States. Professor Brenda Croft is set to take up the ultra-prestigious Gough Whitlam and Malcolm Fraser Chair of Australian Studies. She'll be heading to Harvard University this year to share Australia's First Nations cultural heritage. Artist, writer and historian Brenda Croft has been at the forefront of the renaissance of Aboriginal arts and culture for several decades. Professor Brenda Croft, welcome to Speaking Out. Hi, how are you, Larissa? I'm great, and it's great to have you on the show. And since it's the first time you're with us, I wonder if we can start by asking you where you're from and what shaped your worldview. Well, I am a Gurindjimalian Mutbara woman from the Northern Territory, the Victoria River region, which I'm sure many listeners will have heard about in recent times with the terrible flooding up there. That's where my, my dad's people are from, so my people on my father's side. I'm privileged to live and work on uh, Nyambri, Ngunnawal country in Canberra, where I did a lot of my growing up, uh, formative years in the 1970s when my family was down here while my dad worked with Department of Aboriginal Affairs. But I was born in Perth, um, Wajuk, uh, over on Noongar country, and I feel I've been really, really fortunate throughout my life to have travelled uh, across this continent and many First Nations traditional homelands. So all of that has informed who I am and what I do now. What drew you to become an arts practitioner? I've known you for a very long time, I think, since I've been a teenager, and I've known you predominantly as an artist from that time, although obviously you've done a whole lot of other things. But what drew you to creative practice? I love that you brought that up because I always think of that with you and and having known you since you were a young woman, and hopefully I was a young woman at the time as well. You were. You know, it was an amazing time to be in Sydney when we were. Um, The weird thing, I was thinking about this the other day, I just always loved art. It was always in my life. It was always encouraged. I was one of those kids who entered every colouring in contest hoping to win a horse. (laughs) (laughs) which is usually how it started. I wanted a horse so badly when I was a little girl. But um, my parents just really encouraged me. If I think back to the earliest point, my parents owned a news agency when we lived in northern New South Wales in Woodburn on uh, Bundjalung country. And my dad, he set up a little part of the news agency as an Aboriginal arts and crafts shop. And my mum, they ordered you know, smallish items from around the country and I was really aware of those in the shop but also at home. And my mum was very creative. She could she could make anything. She was an incredible seamstress and milliner and I used to love going through her old pattern books. She learnt that at TAFE when she was in her mid-teens and just always made all our clothes, my brothers and my clothes. And so I used to love sort of making things on the sewing machine, drawing and and colouring. And, you know, it just was kind of a natural pathway when I actually finished school. I had wonderful art teachers in high school. And then early 1980s, mid-1980s, I was like, what am I doing? I'm in the public service in Canberra and it's not really feeding me (laughs) in terms of what I want to do. A really dear friend was heading to Sydney to go to the East Sydney Tech at that time. She was going to do fashion design there and 
And I basically, you know, went with her and we got a group house set up in Sydney and I um, enrolled to go to Sydney College of the Arts and that was the start of it. I, I knew people before that. I had met uh, people like, you know, Fiona Foley. I had met her when we were both in Year 12 and First Nations kids who'd gone through to Year 12 were in from New South Wales and ACT were all covered to come to Sydney and go around to all the universities and art schools and places like ABC actually and Sydney Morning Herald just to see what we might like to do once we'd finished school and so that's when I first met Fiona and we just kept in touch. She went to Alexander Mackey College which then became College of Fine Arts and then she went to Sydney College of the Arts and so she was a year ahead of me. Avril Quayle was a year ahead of her. Michael Riley was also involved I think in some way at Sydney College of the Arts it was just a really flowering time, if you like. There was so much happening in Sydney at that time and so I was just really fortunate to be able to kind of follow a pathway that fed my passion and I'm forever grateful for that. It was such a heady time. I have to ask, did you ever get the horse? No. Okay. <laughs> I, used to, I, used to walk, I used to walk past every horse that was on achievement in this, in, in this little country town and I'd pat them and I'd pretend they were my horses. But, oh, God knows, we, we, had, we had nowhere to put a horse. No. My parents kind of let me have that little dream. <laughs> well, it's, it sounds like it's still a dream, but I have to go back to the heady days of your coming to Sydney, which, of course, Naser had started, which was the seat of... Bangara, it was actually a really amazing time. And I guess the oh. thing that I want to capture there is yeah. that not only were you coming to Sydney and engaging as an artist and yeah. learning your craft, yeah. you were involved with establishing Bamali, one of the most yeah. significant art collectives in the country. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how that happened and what that was like. Well, I often tell people I was the ring-in. I was number 10 <laughs> out of the 10 founding members at the end, at the invitation of the others, and um, I'm forever grateful for that. Um, the other founding members had been working for some time uh, and had been having lots of meetings. So there was Tracy Moffat, Avril Quayle, Fiona Foley, Roman Bancroft, Euphemia Bostock, Jeffrey Samuels, Aron Raymond Meeks, Michael Riley, Fernanda Martins, um, and they had been getting together with people like John Mundine and Jackie Katona, and I think Cheryl Rose was a part of that, um, some of those early meetings, to look at finding a space that they could set up an artist-run initiative in the inner city. And I'll re always remember Michael and Fiona coming to a party at my house in 87, um, just before I was about to head up home, my first trip as a young adult, going back up to the Northern Territory to see family. And they asked me if I'd like to become a member, the 10th um, founding member, and I absolutely jumped at the, the opportunity. I then disappeared for a, um, a, a quite a long period of time, a few months, I think, up to the Territory, came back and was able to be involved in helping set up for the opening. Uh, which was November 1987 in an old uh, sewing factory in Chippendale. And it was an amazing, amazing night. Uh, you can see footage of that night in Michael Riley's film, Bumali Five Coriatus, and all the, the young um, guns of the time working across visual arts, dance, theatre, writing were there. It was opened by... Um, 
John Newfong, who was a phenomenal journalist and activist. He helped establish Identity magazine in the 1970s, and I still um, love looking at the uh, copies of that magazine and his writing in that. You can see him in footage from the 10 Embassy in the early 70s and him speaking there. So he opened it and we had um, leaders such as Charlie Perkins, um, elders including my dad. I think Jimmy Everett was also there at the opening. Um, it was just a wonderful, wonderful time and you felt really um, buoyed and, and mentored and inspired by all these phenomenal people working together in their various fields of creativity. That's right. I still remember that too. And my first paycheck from Legal Aid, I went and bought something from Vimali, which I still have. You have had an extraordinary career as an artist, but you have also had a significant academic career. What drew you into academia and quite serious scholarship? I also went and taught at the University of South Australia. I had great mentors there like uh, Professor Irene Watson, who really encouraged me to apply for an Australian Research Council grant, which was the hardest thing I'd ever done at that time. But thanks to her encouragement, her very strong encouragement, I started my PhD with UNSW Art and Design, and that enabled me to really work with family and community. And for me... Creative-led research, which means being able to use work I've done as an artist as part of the foundation for my research, it was just great. It was just such a, a godsend to be able to do that. And also work with my dad's community art home on a traditional country in Victoria River region, but also part of the displaced Gurindji community. And I feel like I have a responsibility to do that in what I'm doing with my own research. But I also love working with First Nations colleagues in academia and I love the stimulation that that gives you. I think all of us are on a lifelong journey. I I would never assume that I know everything in a, a chosen field. I want to learn and being within the academy has enabled me to do that, working with not just First Nations peoples in Australia but also colleagues from overseas and something that stimulates me and drives me to to do what I'm doing and I love my job and and I love being part of the academic group that's down here at the Australian National University and I see myself in, in this place for as long as I can possibly be. You are a hard worker, Brenda Croft, and you work across a range of mediums. So it wasn't surprising to me to hear that you would become the first Indigenous woman to hold the prestigious Gough Whitlam and Malcolm Fraser Chair of Australian Studies at Harvard University. How did you feel when you found out that you had been given this very hard to get but very prestigious position? Well, there was a lot of emotion in it. You know, I'm clearly really honoured and excited to be doing that, but As you know, Larissa, you were there with my late brother, Lindsay, nearly 30 years ago, and he was there on a Hartness Fellow. And so that was always in my mind when I applied for it. I felt in a way that I'm honouring his spirit by having applied for it, and I, I certainly want to follow through on that while I'm over there. The fact that it's named after two incredible leaders, Gough Whitlam and Malcolm Fraser, who worked across party politics. They 
certainly that situation that happened in 1975 when Whitlam was ousted, they wouldn't have been called close colleagues or friends, but they came to a, a great respect later in life. And for me personally, both of them were very strong supporters of First Nation rights, Indigenous rights and social justice. Whitlam, absolutely, with Gurindji community, so there's a very kind of close uh, connection for me in that sense. But also Malcolm Fraser, when I worked on the 45th Gurindji Freedom Day Festival as project manager, uh, Malcolm Fraser did a wonderful video support letter for community. And um, I feel, you know, it's not just a chair that's named after two kind of distant people. These are people that I was fortunate enough to know of as a younger person, but in, also met in later life. And I feel very much a sense of responsibility in doing as much as I can in, during the 12 months that I'll be in, at Harvard. And I can't wait. I'm just so kind of champing at the bit to get there. I'm very excited for you. I just want to share with everyone that I have one of your artworks in my office and it does have an image of Lindsay. It's very special to me. But can you tell us in this exciting period, what are you actually hoping to achieve? What are the strands of your work while you're there? Well, because I work not only in the creative arts sector, but obviously First Nations studies, Indigenous knowledge studies, I'll be working across two departments, the Department of History of Art and Architecture and the Department of Visual Arts, Film and Media Studies. But there's also a really great Native American program at Harvard, and I'm so keen to work with Native American colleagues. So I'd, I'd already written to people from there, including their, the first Native American tenured professor, Philip Deloria, before I applied to say that I was applying just as a cultural protocol for me and that I hoped to engage with him and he was just so warm and encouraging um, and responded straight away. I also want to not just teach into those courses, but there's a capacity to organise events and I want to organise a symposium towards the end of my time there and bring colleagues, not just from Australia, but other First Nations colleagues I've worked with over the decades to Harvard. And I'll be organising a film program. So as I look out the window at the National Film and Sound Archives, I've already started talking with colleagues over there. I want to take some really incredible films by First Nations filmmakers and others as part of that program. But key to what I'm doing there for me on a really personal level is that I am determined to try and establish a scholarship for postdoc First Nations students from America and also from Australia to be able to do cultural exchange programs, ANU to Harvard and vice versa. And we've talked about this too, Larissa, if there's capacity for people who are coming over to study to work across other tertiary institutions to keep Lindsay's memory alive. He passed away shortly after he did his Harkness Fellowship and you were over there with him at that time. He wasn't even 27 years old. And for me, it's a, a means of keeping his memory alive. He's going on to great things. And I mean it when I say that I stand on the, the shoulders of others. And it's certainly I stand on his shoulders as well, even though he was my younger brother. But um, I feel like I've got a very packed 12 months already and I just have to be incredibly focused on how I try to realise all of those things in that amount of time. 
I've absolutely no doubt, knowing you as I do, that you will make it the most amazing thing. So I hope that when you have finished it, you can come back and give us some reflections on how it's all gone because there were also lots of other things I wanted to ask you about, but we ran out of time. Well, maybe I can bring you over there, Larissa, while I'm there. We can do a show while we're there. It's a date. (laughs) Now, just before you go, I know you had something that was very close to your heart, a fundraiser that you wanted to mention. Well, as people have heard recently, on the 1st of March, there was terrible floods that cut through so many of the communities along the Victoria River, including Kalkaringi, Dagaragu, Pigeonhole and other communities, and they were completely inundated. So there's a fundraiser that I'm lucky to be a bit involved with for Karankani Art and Culture Centre from Kalkaringi. It's a possible fundraiser. I've sent the link through to you, and we're trying to raise funds to restore the art centre, which art and cultural centre, because it's the heart of that community. It's an organisation I've worked with extensively for many years, uh, since its establishment in 2011. We want to get it up and running. We're raising money to employ local people to help restore that and to buy and replace the materials and equipment that was there. It's the heartbeat. So I really encourage people to look up that possible fundraiser and anything, like any dollar, is very, very gladly welcome. So I'd like to promote that. Thank you for letting me do that. Well, who can stop you with your energy and all the amazing things you do? In fact, I'm very privileged that you were able to find some time to come by speaking out and share some of your story with us. Thank you so much, Larissa. I really appreciate the time talking with you. That's academic artist, curator, just all around force of nature, Professor Brenda Croft. Speaking out with Larissa Barron. The knowledge, the culture, the arts, the language, the law and customs of Indigenous people. On ABC Radio. This is Speaking Out on ABC Radio, Radio National, Radio Australia, on podcast and the ABC Listen app. I'm Larissa Berendt and if you like what you're hearing, why not rate us on your app and that way other people can find us and hear our stories as well. Coming up on the program, we talk to Frances Peters Little, daughter of legendary musician Uncle Jimmy Little. A biography of her father, Jimmy Little, a Yorta Yorta Man, is set to be released next month through Hardy Grant Publishing. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.